Hello, you're listening to Living Alone Together. I am your only host, Yen. So this is the first episode on a book discussion, and the book that I'm reading is called "The View from Here: On Affirmation, Attachment, and the Limits of Regret." It was published in 2013 by Oxford University Press, and the um. Author of the book is Professor R. J. Wallace. He is a professor of philosophy at the University of California, Berkeley.、Um, he studies the philosophy of responsibility, the nature of obligation, and、uh, moral psychology, and the nature of practical reason. And if none of that makes any sense, basically he studies. Ethics. So, what's the right thing to do, and how do we know that it's the right thing to do? All right. So, as you could expect, this turns out to be quite a、um, technical book,、um, and I think it's a book for someone who has who has some、um, interest in philosophy and who may have taken one or two courses.、Uh, In philosophy, or just just like the most basic courses,、uh, would suffice. I I would think. But also, you do need to have a lot of patience because in the book he refers to a lot of other philosophers and other or some sort of standard knowledge in philosophy, and I had to look them up sometimes. So I might make some mistakes and.、Um, But I'll try to. I'll, I'm just going to try my best to talk about this. So my plan, by the way, for this series is to is not to just summarize the book in one or two episodes. I do want to go into each chapter more carefully. But of course, I think a lot of people are not going to be interested in this. So I probably won't do.、Um, Consecutive episodes on on this book. I would just go back to my normal episodes, and then have this book in between if I feel like it. But at the very least, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna talk about the introduction today, and then、uh, we'll see how it goes. But I, I really hope that I could go into the details of the book. So,、um, so the very first thing that had, that's in the introduction is actually a quote. By another philosopher called Bernard Williams, and it's、um, a quote from his paper called *Moral Luck*, which was published in 1981, I believe. And so, in order to talk about、uh, Professor Wallace's work, we have to go through Bernard Williams' concept、uh, first. And、um, I actually read the、uh, the paper called Moral Luck, and it's very confusing. And I had to check the summary just to make sure I'm getting the information right. So,、um, as I said, this is a philosophical book. So, when I said I'm interested in regret, I didn't think it would really be about agency, intention, morality, and practical reasons. So I didn't think it would be like that. I just thought, oh, I see regret in the title, and I'm gonna read it. It turns out that this is really、um, a book on moral philosophy, and、uh, that's fine. Let's go through it.、Um, so now I'm going to talk about Bernard Williams'、uh, Moral Luck, published in 1981. So the summary of this paper, Moral Luck, really is、um, an examination of. 
uh, whether or not there's this gap between our rational justification of the actions we've chosen to to go through and and moral justification. So in simpler terms, basically, uh, Williams wants to see if um, the right thing to do uh, considering our deliberations would always coincide with the right thing to do morally. Um, to simplify it even further, basically Williams thinks that there seems to be a gap. So I could do something that is that is right given my situations, given my practical considerations, but that is also wrong morally speaking. Or I could do something that is practically not very wise for me to do, or I could have done it in some other way that is, objectively speaking, a better way to do it. But that turns out to be morally right as well. So, so you could be there. There are two ways to be right. Um, you could be right rationally speaking, or you could be right uh, morally speaking. And these two don't necessarily have to coincide. And so that's kind of what the thesis of this paper is about. So he wants to talk about how some people could get things right morally. By, by luck. And um, so that's the thesis of the paper. And now why is that an important concept? Why is that interesting philosophically speaking? It's because it is anti-Kant. So Kant, of course, is another philosopher. Um, he, he would say that um, you could only say that someone has acted morally if and only if that action um, is rational. So, in other words, if you are um, morally right, it means that you must be rationally speaking also right. It cannot. There can be no no gap between rational justification and moral justification. In other words, it wouldn't be possible for someone to uh, luckily have done the right thing morally speaking, when they don't even know what they're doing, when their intention was not to do the right thing, all right? So for Kant, you could only do the right thing if you know what you're doing and if your intentions and your practical reason was right. I think I think that's the core thesis. And for Kant, there is a good way to examine if you are acting morally, which is to say if you are acting rationally. Um, and that is to use... Uh, what what's known as the universality principle, which is that you know before you do something, you could examine, try to extrapolate the consequence or uh, the nature of your action to everyone else in the world. So suppose everyone did the same thing you did, what would happen to the world, and would it be would it make sense rationally speaking uh, for this world to exist, or would that outcome that everyone did the same thing as you did permit what you have chosen to done in the first place now that sounds awfully convoluted so i'm trying to i'm going to use uh bernard williams uh, example um in the book which also happens to be uh, wallace's example in his book about regret 
So the example is the artist Gauguin.、Um, I hope I pronounce it correctly. It's the French artist who basically, I think, abandoned his family to、uh, to Tahiti to pursue his career in today's vocabulary. Basically, he tried to.、Um, Like have a vacation and then do his work there, and the consequence, or rather the thing that he had to give up, was his family. So he he left his family for his career. All right. So now, if we want to see if、um, this action、uh, was right, morally right, using Kant's universality principle, I I imagine that it would go like this. All right. Suppose everyone abandoned their family for their career. What would happen?、Uh, could you possibly have pursued your career that way? Well, if you extrapolated a little bit, if you if every single person um, um, abandoned their family for their career, then all families would break down, and maybe.、Um, The society as a whole would be dysfunctional, and therefore maybe there wouldn't be careers, or careers wouldn't exist the same way we would know them、um, today. When there are families、uh, that are the basic units of the society, so that could be the thesis. And so, given that. It would you would reach a contradiction. So since it could not be the case that everyone in the society or everyone in the world abandoned their family、uh, to pursue a career, because in that case careers wouldn't make sense、uh, in a dysfunctional society, it is morally wrong for you to abandon your family to,、uh, for a career. Okay, that that that's just、uh, me making it up. But I'm just trying to apply the、um, the universality principle. So that's like in general、um, a way to examine if your action is morally right. So in the case of Gogan pursuing his career in the Tahiti, in Tahiti, it's morally wrong to do so. And based on Kant's justification, it's because it wouldn't make sense rationally speaking. Because you cannot extrapolate it and have everyone else、uh, do the same thing. All right, so that's enough about Kant. I don't want to talk about him anymore.、Um, now, now Williams, Bernard Williams、um, has a different view. So he would say that, as I said, there is a clear difference, a clear gap between what's the rational thing to do versus the what's the right thing to do, morally speaking. In other words, we could we could say that、um, we could say that Gogan is actually justified, rationally speaking, to to abandon his family for his career because, in the end, he turns out he turned out to be a successful artist. But at the same time.、It, Um, he's still wrong to do so, morally speaking. And、uh, Williams w- holds this view because it seems like、um, it seems like we would want to say that morality is、um, a supreme value, right? It's it's something that is not 
parallel uh, with every other value, and uh, therefore it cannot be tied to other values like, like, let's say, practical reasoning or the right thing to do rationally speaking, right? So Williams is saying that. Um, what 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 is he saying? What right? He's saying that um, there is. That, now, his problem or the problem of moral luck arises then because if there's this gap between what's the right thing to do, rationally speaking, versus what's the right thing to do, morally speaking, then the element of luck could slip in um, that's kind of undesirable. So in the case of, um, in the case of Gauguin, uh, it doesn't match, right? He is a successful painter um, as the result of his unfaithfulness to his family. Um, so it seems a little bit troublesome to think that um, these two do not coincide. Another example is that suppose we had two people who both violated the same traffic rule, but one person's violation resulted in the death of a person and the other person did not, right? Then what? How are we to judge these two people? Well, if Kant was right, which is to say that um, the morality of the action always depends on the rationality of the action, um, and the rationality of the action depends then on if we are to sort of mix and match like all the historical philosophical ideas together. If the rationality of the action depends on the intention of the agent, which is that he voluntarily chose to um, violate that traffic rule, then if that's the case, if there's no gap between uh, the between rationality and morality, then both people would be equally wrong, right? Um, no matter the outcome. Um, but it seems very, very counterintuitive because one person killed a person and the other did not, right? So so I think Williams is trying to say that there is there is a gap and the gap um is where luck comes in. So some people end up like they could do the wrong thing, rationally speaking, or they could make the not the wisest choice, but they end up having a good outcome and and that outcome coincides with what we consider to be good, to be morally good. Um, or they could make the um, not so rational choice and um, we end up having also um, an okay outcome, a good outcome, just like in the case of um, the traffic rule violator who did not kill a person, right? Um, so that's why I think this issue arose. And um, Bernard Williams said something like, moral and luck seem to be oxymoron. They shouldn't go together because we would have a strong instinct to defend the unconditionality of morality, which is that it's untouched by the agent's intention. Um Sorry, that it is unconditional. Like it's good because it's good, and that shouldn't um, that should depend on on pure reason. It should depend on you know rationally speaking. This is this is the right thing to do, and therefore it's the right thing to do morally speaking as well. I think I think that's the that's the thing that um, Bernard Williams is fighting against. So 
or he's arguing against that case. He's saying that, no, in fact, um, there is a gap, all right? And luck comes in. All right, so that was that. That was my best attempt to summarize the the thing. And now the question is, how can we know this? Like, um, how can we know that there is this gap? Well, this is when um, the element of regret comes into play. Um, Bernard Williams is saying that there is actually a false dichotomy between um, agent regret versus spectator regret. So I'm trying to make this less um, technical. Agent regret is what we would conventionally call remorse, which is what I personally feel bad about and spectator regret is um, the regret that everyone else would feel uh, if they witnessed the situation and he said the there isn't just these two kinds of regret there's just not it isn't just about um, what everyone else thinks versus what you personally think or feel Um, and he's saying that there is a nuance um, in agent regret which is that there's more than more than one kind of agent regret or rather that it can be broken down into different things he's um and what he says is that um it's not so simple to just say that oh i regret what i did um actually a lot of times you regret something um, only when the outcome turns out to be unsuccessful. He says that this phenomenon is um, pretty prevalent. For example, in Gauguin's case, um, he may have regretted leaving his family only if he didn't turn out to be a successful artist. If he failed as an artist, he would regret leaving his family for uh, Tahiti. But if he, uh, as he did, turned out to be a su- successful artist, he probably wouldn't have regretted that. And both kinds of regret are on him, are in him, and therefore they are both, roughly speaking, agent regret, but they're not the same, right? And the key element is the outcome of the um of your action um and and um so the quote in moral luck on this matter is this regret necessarily involves a wish that things had been otherwise for instance that one had not um had to act as one did but it does not necessarily involve the wish, all things considered, that one had acted otherwise. All right. So, in other words, you can endorse, um, you could um, endorse your action, but then hope for an alternative outcome, and that we would also say that it's a kind of regret. So, in other words, regret doesn't really entail um, sort of regret all the way up to your intention, right? So there is a clear separation between your intention and how things actually turn out. And in that regard, uh, regret also has sort of like a difference between a full-on regret, which is regretting all the way, versus regretting only the outcome but not the intention. And so Williams tries to uh, make this the case and therefore... Now then, he could continue to argue for the gap between morality and rationality. Let's see how he does it. So, basically, 
he tries to then examine the nature of uh, what we called agent regret. So, like, how can we try to understand the personal regret you feel towards something? Um, so, let's say that um, does it make sense? Basically, he's asking, does it make sense to regret your process? Of deliberation, if the outcome of the deliberation turns out to be successful, right? So suppose we try to break it down. We say that okay, you've got an intention, and also your your intention has led to some sort of outcome, and the outcome could be successful or、uh, unsuccessful. And you say that okay, I only regret the how I've made the decision, but it turns out that the、um, outcome is great. It's what I wanted, even though I I sort of didn't do、um, rationally speaking the best thing to do, right? And um, uh, and Williams thinks that it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't have. It doesn't really make sense to do that because.、Um, You. It doesn't make sense to regret your action. Sorry, your decision or the process of deliberation. If you turns out you, if you turn out to get the good outcome, right?、Um, and it would seem very, very weird if you try to say it. Let's say I stand my stand by my deliberations, but I'm sorry that things turned out differently than I expected,、uh, and I'm at the same time sorry, and at the same time I didn't wish that. I acted otherwise. So, so there are two cases, right? You sort of did the wrong decision. You made the wrong decision, but things turned out all right. Or you made the right decision, but things turned out to be wrong, and you still didn't regret、um, doing the、uh, sorry, making the decision the right way, right?、Um, so Bernard is saying that it seems pointless to really.、Um, To really say that, oh, I regret my intention and disregarding、um, the outcome. Okay, so it's it's a bit too modest. That's his that's his view. So then he tries to see, all right, if this is too modest, can we have like a an, an extreme different kind of view, which is、uh, sort of a a view on one's entire life, and then look at things. <laughs> look at things with the view of one's entire life、um, in 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 their mind, and he says he says that this is、um, the view of the philosopher、uh, John Rawls, and、um, John Rawls thinks that an individual should sorry an individual is responsible. For、uh, to himself as one person over time, so you should look at sort of the outcome, not for individual in- events, but also but just examine your whole life at the end of it or something like that. Now Williams thinks that this is、uh, t- like too extreme, and、um, he says that this, and I quote. Implicitly ignores the obvious fact that what one does and the sort of one life one leads condition one's later des- desires and judgments. So,、um, basically, in other words, we would we change our values all the time, and our identity is fluid. So,、um, and also our power of abstraction about our past projects and preferences is quite limited. So. Basically, this is not plausible due to, I think, practical 
practical reasons. So it's not really possible to know um, how you would think about your earlier projects because you would have changed and you wouldn't be the same person after you've made that decision or have done that project, right? So let's say Gauguin, he couldn't really make a rational assessment of leaving his family um, given that he's already become this successful artist that he is today, and so it's not going to be very fair to to the people who um, saw him before he was successful. So there are two sort of extremes, which is to completely separate the intention versus the outcome, and um, the other one is um, the look at your entire life as one big thing and try to examine if you regret the projects within your whole life. So Williams thinks that it's also not, not, not um, feasible. So what Williams' view is, given that um, it's a bit strange, uh, both uh, scenarios didn't work out uh, well. Well, his view is that, and this is the quote that, um, that the book we ultimately are going to read. <laughs> um, it's the very first quote in, the, in this book. So William's view is this. The perspective of deliberative choice on one's life is constitutively from here. Correspondingly, the perspective of assessment with greater knowledge is necessarily from there. And not only can I not guarantee how factually it will then be, but I cannot ultimately guarantee from what standpoint of assessment my major and the most fundamental regrets will be, unquote. So I think what he's trying to say is that um, basically the intention and the outcome should, should stand together, but it doesn't mean that we have to examine the whole thing um, as part of your life as a whole. Right, so basically, we should examine each project. Like the end point to look at the project and see if it's the right thing to do was when the outcome has been determined. But the outcome shouldn't be determined when you are dead. It shouldn't be decided after your death to see that oh, you're actually a successful artist. Um, you could make that assessment after you've actually uh, become a successful artist or you've made a certain amount of money or something out of your art or you've produced one major masterpiece, then that's good enough as evidence that you are you made the right choice, right? So I think that's William's view. So he criticizes both extremes. He's saying that, all right, we cannot really just look at the uh, we cannot really look at the intention without thinking about the outcome. So if we just look at the intention, it would be at the very tiniest point possible, which is just to look at the whether or not you've done the right thing, whether or not you did the smart thing. All right. He said it's a little bit hypocritical <laughs> to to say that, oh, I'm so proud of my decision, even when the outcome is is a failure or um or to say that, oh, I, I, I don't like my decision, even though you ended up uh, hitting the right things at the end. Um, so he said that's, that's not good. But he also says it's not good to look at your whole life as one single big thing and then judge that, okay, this person must have done, has been wise his entire life because he ended up being successful. Or, oh, this person uh, must have done all the wrong things in, in his life because he ended up to be this, this big failure or something. So he 
said that he says that um, no, both of these are too extreme, and the um, the thing that makes sense is to stop at this point to look at things from here um, or. Sorry, to basically to assess the um, the rationality of your decision um, after the success or failure of your project has be um, is made clear, all right. And so, if that's the case, of course, then the element of luck would come in um, because um, the success of your project doesn't just depend on you, right? There are so many factors that could come into play. And uh, of course, he tries to distinguish between the intrinsic factors and the extrinsic factors. Basically, I think the factors that you could control and the factors that you cannot control. And because often the extrinsic factors would determine the outcome of your project, um, we could say that luck plays a big role in whether or not your project turns out to be successful and therefore luck determines whether or not you made the right choice um and so uh so then uh if our view is so limited if we're limited to to um personal project and we cannot consider um, the morality for all humanity, since we couldn't even just judge uh, your own action based on your own life, uh, we cannot even do that. We cannot locate your personal project within the whole moral nexus, right? So um, that that is um, also how moral luck comes in. So you could happen to do the moral thing while pursuing your personal project, um, and. Um, the quote to to for this is this um, quote: "Their moral luck does not lie in acquiring a moral justification; it lies rather in the relation of their life and of their justification or lack of it to morality." So, you could live a. It means that you could live a completely non-regrettable life, uh, which is. Um, Gonna, which happens to coincide with what we consider to be moral, or it could be immoral, right? So, okay, I think I think my my summary here is a little bit. Um, it's not. It doesn't flow flow that well. I I'll assume. Sorry, I I'll agree. I'll think. I'll assume, but um, that's the best I I could do. So. The point, all right, so the point of, of William's thing is just this, that um, you cannot guarantee how your thing will, your project will turn out factually because there are elements beyond your control. And so if the judgment, and he thinks it is, if your judgment does depend on the outcome of your project, then it means that the quality of your judgment is not entirely in your control. The element of luck um, would determine if you would end up being a good right person or not the right person. So the simple case would be the person violating the traffic rule. It seems that um, killing a person as a result of that versus not killing a person as a result of that makes a difference on how bad you were as a person. And, um, and can't 
sorry, the philosopher Kant cannot uh, really say that all the two people are equal um, in in how bad they are because the outcomes are different. And so Williams is just talking about this, that there are just factors beyond your control. Um, therefore, there is an element of luck in how in deciding how moral or how good a person is. All right. So now, if you're still with me, I'm going to go back to the book I was reading, which is The View From Here. Um, so the very first quote from the introduction is the quote from Moral Luck. Is on, it's to emphasize that we have very limited perspective and we cannot take on the life lifelong view of um like for, to determine the quality of our action, of every action we have, we can only judge from here. And there are a lot of information that we will only glean from the future, which is from there. Um, so, so I guess the book is really about the quality of our decision based on our knowledge of the current um, and the present, right? So that's why it's called The View From Here. All right, so he says that this book is the subject of the book is about the um, situation that involves the subject knowing that the decision is not the best rationally speaking, but still cannot regret it wholeheartedly and would even choose to do the same after looking back. So he, he in other words, um, I think he's sort of um, adding on to... Like he's trying to, uh, ref- like trying to communicate with Williams, which is want to communicate. But he's trying to talk about this. This he's trying to address the um, the gap between your intention and the outcome, um, and uh, he wants to discuss why, um, even though the outcome is not successful, you cannot still. Um, wholeheartedly regret your decision. So I think he's disagreeing with Williams. I think that's pretty clear. He's trying to say that actually you can break it down into intention versus outcome and you could um, you could know that the outcome turned out to be bad but still embrace your decision to, to that action in the first place, okay? So this is different from what Williams was saying because Williams was saying that it's a bit hypocritical to say, oh, I really, uh, I embrace my decision wholeheartedly even though I know that today it, the outcome is bad. He says that it's not really, it's a bit pointless to, to make that claim. But Wallace here is saying that actually it makes sense that even if you fail, you still embrace your decision, you still stand by your decision and um, the key thing that makes a difference is attachment. So this is part of the title, and he's saying that you would affirm the poor decision you made because you are attached to the circumstances caused by that poor decision. And therefore, um, in the cases where the attachment has been formed, you would be unable to regret Um in other words, um, it's possible, okay? It's possible to see that you've made a poor decision and still be um, stand by your poor decision because the element of attachment slips in and uh, it's become a unique part of your life. So the example that he gave is, uh, he gave is this, that a young girl could, could give birth to a child and... Um, 
Of course, she could see that the decision to give birth to to this child was was not a good decision,、uh, objectively, rationally speaking. But you could, but then she would also choose, or she would. It's difficult for her to really regret giving birth to a child now that the child has become a fundamental part of her her daily life, and that she's grown attached to this new situation where she's a mother. All right, so this is an example. I think it's kind of it's supposed to be a famous example in philosophy.、Um, and、uh, the quote from Wallace it says, "Our present attachments." Condition fundamentally the view we take toward our own lives and toward the larger world that we inhabit. Unquote. So to put it less beautifully, basically, you are、um, a new person after you've made that poor decision, and yet this new person is still you.、Um, and if you are going to reject that poor decision, you're going to dispense that poor decision. You are. Practically speaking, killing yourself because without that poor decision, you wouldn't be the person you are today. So that's really what this is about.、Um, and、um, so then he introduces the two, other two key words in、um, in the in the title of the book, which is affirmation and regret. Of course, so affirmation of something is to prefer the thing on balance. That、um, the thing should have existed, and regret is kind of the opposite of affirmation, which is、um, he says that regret is the attitude that's contrary to affirmation,、um, or、uh, speaking in a more positive tone, is regret is the preference、um, for things to have been otherwise. So affirmation is acknowledging that things should have been. Existed this way,、uh, on balance. Regret is the preference for things to have been otherwise, on balance. All right. So that's the. I think that's a that's a neat way to talk about this. So affirmation is the opposite of regret,、um, and attachment is the feelings we have towards the person we are today, which may be characterized, which are which is characterized by what the decisions we've made in the past, no matter how poorly made they were. Okay. So he says that the central thesis of the book is that. Um, the attachment to our current life would limit our susceptibility to regret.、Um, this is so important. I'm going to repeat it. The attachment to our current life would limit our susceptibility to regret. And so, the title has been fully explained. The limits of regret is determined by your attachment to your current life. And um, that is um, facilitated by your affirmation、um, of your choices, which is namely to prefer the things that that have happened on balance when you take all things into consideration, as much as you could from here. Okay, from the view from here. <laughs> so that's my summary, kind of, of the introduction and perhaps of the book.、Um, So, what's the actual effect of having this thesis? Well, it seems that it could seal the gap between、um, rational justification and moral justification, which、um, basically is trying to refute Williams'、uh, theory of moral luck. Which is、um, so, in Wallace's view, in Professor Wallace's view.、Um, 
it just because you are not susceptible to regret due to your attachment, it doesn't mean that uh, the decision your decision was the right one. Um, in the case of Gogan, for example. So, for example, um, yeah. So I think that's pretty clear. So. So he he uses the uh, lack of regret due to attachment to support the view um, that uh, to seal the gap between between the outcome of a decision and the intention of the decision. Right? Okay. Is that clear? I hope that's clear. Yeah, just because you're attached to your current circumstances, which are the result of some decisions you made earlier, um, doesn't mean that you don't know how poorly the decision has been made. Okay, you couldn't fully regret making having made that decision, but you could still be clear that it wasn't a good decision. Um, and and he thinks that the gap is sealed by this attachment or by the limit of your regret. So I think that's pretty clear. So for example, another, another um, going back to the young girl, basically, yeah, she could still think that it was a bad decision to, to, to have um, given birth so young in her life. And yet she cannot really regret having given, uh, yeah, having given birth because now she's attached to the, to the child, attached to her um new new responsibility as as a mother so she cannot really regret having the child she could she, on balance she would prefer that the child has been born all right she wouldn't want to kill her current daughter or 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 son but she could still uh stand back and say that it was probably a poor decision to have given birth okay so the seal is made by the attachment to your current life okay I think that's pretty clear. Um, I'm almost there. I have <laughs> half a paragraph left uh, in my notes. Um, so then in the introduction, he goes over what each chapter is about. I'm not going to go through all of them because we're. I hope I, we could just really talk about each chapter. One of the chapter I think must be interesting. It's called the Borjar Predicament. So uh, it's going to discuss, for example, uh, that you are... Uh, you could not have done the projects without that you currently have without the inequalities that have facilitated the the projects that have granted you the privilege of um, your elite projects, for example. So, for ex I think he's talking about himself. Um, he could not have become the philosopher or the academic he is today without being um, in a elite institution and. And this kind of institution um, would not have existed without the inequalities of the entire world, something like that, right? So the question is, so when you're affirming your, let's say, um, your project or the, the title uh, as professor of philosophy, arguably, are you also affirming the inequalities, right? Can we, can we really have unconditional affirmation of our current life, knowing that it's based on some moral injustice in the world? So that's um, what he's going to talk about in a future chapter. Um, um, let's see. And uh, I think that's about it. He would also talk about 
Okay, so I'm going to quote him. He says, ultimately, he wants to examine this thing. Quote, our plight is that we are implicated in the objectionable social and historical structures we inherit in virtue of our attachment to our own lives and to the things um, that give them meaning in ways that frustrate the ambition to live in a way that's ultimately worthy of being wholeheartedly affirmed. So I think the key word is wholeheartedly affirmed, which is to say, can we really embrace um, all the things that we love doing, knowing that um, they are based on, like, they are enmeshed in, like, a overall unjust society or based even on other people's unfortunate um, lives, okay? How can we live in peace with ourselves if our project succeeds but seems to be grounded on larger atrocities of the world or even some immorality? So that's the... So I think he's not going to talk about the element of luck so much in his discussion. He's going to focus on, I, th I think, making peace with ourselves. Um, how can we affirm what we're doing? How can we... Um, given that we are attached to our own lives and yet we do have, we are still capable of having a sense of the right and the wrong and the good and the bad and we could still assess um, our decision uh, from an objective view. Um, and the element of regret is going to play a large rule in, in this because um, regret will be limited by our personal attachment to our to our own lives and that have been shaped by maybe the bad decisions we made yesterday so so that's that's kind of the point of the book and that's what the regret so uh, that's what regret is about so <laughs> what can i say so unfortunately it's not gonna talk i think it's not gonna be too much about like it's gonna be, it's not gonna be on the familiar emotion we have, which is called regret, or rather, it is gonna be quite a detailed examination of this emotion, but it's gonna be in reference to um, a person's entire life or a grander view on morality. So it's not gonna be that easy, and I am getting a headache a little bit just doing this introduction, but I think. The structure is pretty clear and the keywords have all been explained in the introduction. So I do, um, I don't know, I think if you're not like philosophically inclined or you're not interested in like going through the actual details of uh, moral philosophy, I wouldn't recommend this book, but um, you could just listen to my podcast. I'll try to maybe use some um, real life examples to, to, uh, to discuss this all right but i warn you i might be very lazy and just give up right now and say that all right we talked about the introduction the rest is for you to explore but um that's basically what it's about but i'm not satisfied yet because i don't really know what regret is and the nature of how regret um what re how regret um, affects our decisions because that's my core interest i want to know how we could look at our own decisions based on the feeling of regret or like what regret would tell us about the uh, righteousness of our decisions so that's my interest my personal interest and that's why i'm doing this i'm reading this but um it might take a while to talk about the second chapter um, of this book. I already read it, but I think I definitely have to go through it 10 more times before I can do another episode. 
So anyway, so thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, I'll try to uh, make it shorter and sweeter and more direct. Um, let me know if I made any mistakes. So I will return with a normal episode next next week. Um, but uh, yeah, um, check out the book from the website that I'm going to post. And uh, have a good one. Bye bye.